You're listening to episode 71 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara. He's Alex. Stick around for our special guest, Erica Weston. And we're staying home while trying to stay sane, awaiting news on the fate of baseball in 2020. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We are still trying to figure out what exactly to do with ourselves with no sports and no real news to talk about. So we're going to wander our way through another show without much baseball content. We'll figure something out as we go along. Tara and Alex back with you. We will have Erica Weston joining us in a bit. So stick around for that. But Alex, how are things in week 375 of quarantine? Fine. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I, I, you know, I, I think I've reached a point and just from hearing from other people talk about this, I think people who are living with other people during this quarantine would uh, do most anything to have just like a day or two alone. Whereas people who uh, happen to just be stuck by themselves during this quarantine would do anything for just a day or two with other people. It's like, that's that's funny because I am that person that's okay. completely by myself. And actually, my mom stopped by today and we had a conversation from across the room. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, we've both been pretty much, you know, in this same quarantine, same isolation for the last couple of weeks as everyone has. And we're both fine. But there's just sort of that mental hurdle of so many unknowns still. But even just that she was here for like 15 minutes. And I was like, oh. I feel like a human having conversation with with a, another human again. It's a little bit crazy, but I can imagine in your shoes, a little bit desperate for a uh, for a moment of calm for your, or a moment of quiet to yourself, if nothing else. Uh, I have a question. I just realized I can pose to you and anyone who's listening. I have a trip to Disney World scheduled in the first week of August. I want to say we're leaving like August eighth uh, with. My wife, kids, and my in-laws, and uh, that side of the family. Is this trip happening? Mm. <sighs> it's so hard to even have a good answer to that right now because th- we're still in a, a phase where things change so quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. Illinois just extended their stay-at-home orders through the end of the month. That was obviously the advice given by the president this week, and a lot of businesses are kind of getting to the point where like they kind of just have to shut down because they can't continue on such limited uh, you know, business in the next little stretch, long stretch, who knows. But Disney's kind of a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal when Disney shut down because everybody was like, the world could stop <laughs> and Disney would still keep bringing people through the gates. So... Yeah. I don't know. It's so hard. But that's the exact kind of, <laughs> for lack of less frightening terms, Petri dish, where this sort of thing could become a nightmare all over again. So yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I think we're, we're at that point where like the the measures people are taking are working, but we don't know what, air quotes, it's working really means as far as when things will be any sort of normal again. Right. As you so said, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I have no idea either. Obviously, uh, I, I think we need to see where we're at once we get through April. Yeah. And uh, we'll know a lot more. I, although I think I said the exact same thing two weeks ago. I said, you know, give this 10 days and we'll know where we're at. But as you said, things keep changing, but things keep seem to be changing only in one direction. And that is mm-hmm. um, more, uh, and it's good. You know, I, I think yeah. we should be. Uh, being as cautious as we're being instructed to be, but it's not like things are changing with, uh, you know what? Now you can have it. You can now be in groups of 20. Like that's not happening. Right. We haven't gone back the other direction yet. Exactly. Everything's changing in one direction. So I don't know. This is crazy. This is absolutely wild. It's just so hard. I was having a conversation with my mom today and I actually tweeted about this too, that I don't know how long it's going to be before I get past that, the mental block of, you know, people can be wandering around with this and not know it, 
right? So like, when is it going to feel safe to be in groups of people or to go to the grocery store or to, you know, hang out with even one person in my home? Like, when is that going to feel like it's not a problem anymore? And I don't know that we have any answer to that either, because And to your point, maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll have a better idea of when, I don't know what the, what the curve actually looks like, because I keep saying this thing is going to peak in the middle of April, and then we can hopefully go downhill from there. But we still have, that's all just speculation at this point. And even if it goes downhill, how long is it before, before it's controllable enough that normal things can start to happen. And and people like me who are a little bit paranoid, a little bit of a hypochondriac are going to feel comfortable in any sort of group environment. I don't know. It's, it's so unprecedented. And we keep using that word. And I've, I've started to hate that word. But that's the reality is that nobody has seen this and knows how to deal with it in any sort of logical or reasonable way at this point. And until things stop changing for for the worse, I guess, I don't know that we'll really be able to get a handle on any of it. Yeah, I guess if one good thing comes out of this, it's that maybe once we all can go back to living as normal of life as possible, people are going to be more responsible with like waste (laughs) and the conservation, like things they use, you know, like... (laughs) I, I'm I'm not using paper towels right now. I, I don't, you know, I'm using like uh, reusable rack. You know what I mean? Just like mm-hmm. little things that before I'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll use five paper towels to clean up that yeah. small glass of water that spilled. Uh, no, I don't know. Nothing's good. Not, never mind. Nothing's good coming out of this. Let's just all <laughs> well, like. I think like, there probably will be some yeah. good things coming out of it. If nothing else, a, a bit of a, a pause in the busyness, maybe reset some perspective. And, but then again, there are a lot of people who are just as angry and feisty and <laughs> I don't know, there's still a lot of drama that we see on Twitter. I don't know what it's like away from Twitter. Cause I haven't existed in that, <laughs> in that reality in a long time, especially now that's, the, that's my only outlet at this point is the internet and, and social media. Um, but as such, you know, perspective, we are learning about ourselves, things like, you know, the, preference for sea salt or my inability to grocery shop. And as has become the consistent opening to this show, Alex, what have we learned this week in isolation? Okay. So last week, I want to say on the baseball podcast, Effectively Wild, they talked about the movie uh, Field of Dreams mm-hmm. uh, b- because they they both watched it recently. And Tara, you know how polarizing field of dreams can be especially among the baseball community i do like there's there's people who just love it and then there's kind of like the intelligentsia who who believes it's a very bad movie for various (laughs) reasons um if you listen to this episode of effectively wild they were kind of like moderates on the issue they um talked about things they were really good about the movie and that they liked about the movie and talked about things that were kind of ridiculous about the movie um one of the things that they didn't mention that I kind of wish they would have. When I say they, I'm talking about Sam Miller and Ben Lidberg, the hosts of the of the great podcast, Effectively Wild. Um, I know when I watched Field of Dreams recently, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, and and I, I actually like Field of Dreams. Uh, I've always liked it. It's, it's by no means a perfect movie. <laughs> it has a lot of problems. <laughs> but I, I think we should be allowed to live in a world where you can like something and still acknowledge that it has faults or even that parts of it is problematic or, or whatever. And that doesn't automatically mean it's totally worthless or um, bad in every way possible. But I, I enjoy Field of Dreams. And one of the things I enjoy about it that I, I um, noticed that they didn't really touch on this, or at least I don't think they did, or at least not like this, uh, is how easily the movie just lets you accept anything uh, and mm. uh, an example of this <laughs> is when Ray Casella is with Terrence Mann in Minnesota because they're searching for Moonlight Graham. I've, I assume you've seen this movie. Let's get that yes. out of the way. Right? Okay, okay. Yes. So you know the part where they're in Minnesota. They're in like a hotel room because uh, uh-huh. they traveled all the way there from Boston to find this baseball player, Moonlight Graham. And Terrence Mann learns, somehow learns that He's been reported as missing back home in Boston by like his brother or his son or I forget who it is. Um, and he 
uses the phone to call home to like clear up that situation. And Ray says, do you want me to get out of here? Like, do you want me to give you privacy? And he says, sure. Which has always felt kind of weird. Like, why, why do you need privacy in that moment to just say, no, I'm not missing. I'm here. But whatever. <laughs> it's, it's used as a vehicle to get Ray out of the hotel room and for him to just walk around and wander the streets of this town. Well, while he's doing this, he time travels. He all of a sudden ends up back in like <laughs> 1974. And by this point in the movie, everyone's like, all right, I'm fine with this. <laughs> like, this is an insane thing that he all of a sudden transport, like goes back in time. Like time, I, I realize like by this point, he's already like done the, built the field and, and all that stuff. And he's hearing voices and these dead baseball players come back. But there's something about the fact that he's literally time traveling back 20 years or whatever and the audience or at least me and my perception is the rest of the people who watch this movie are like this as well they're like okay yeah I'm, I'm, by this point <laughs> in the movie i'm totally fine with the fact that he has somehow transported in time back to uh the, the 70s like i feel as though and it's not even a very long movie I, i'd be surprised if the movie stretches much past an hour and a half uh but i feel like at this point in the movie they could have had like I don't know, Godzilla bust through and start knocking down buildings and no one really would have even like batted an eyelash. It's just amazing how easily this movie lets the viewer just completely let go of reality. Or maybe that's just the viewer like me who is not offended by this movie and the the smarter people who are see through this BS and are like, all right, that's stupid. No one should be time traveling. I don't care if he did uh, build a baseball field that conjured up ghosts. But uh that is my that's my random thing on field of dreams i I like the fact that uh it's the most unremarkable time travel in the history of cinema no one even really mentions it um i'm not sure if it's time traveling or if or what no it's definitely time traveling because it's the license plate says 74 and like the movies has godfather (laughs) 2 on it like but no one even mentions that as like one of the crazy things about the movie. And then he all of a sudden goes back to the hotel and he <laughs> appears to be Terrence, telling Terrence Mann what happened. And Terrence Mann doesn't seem all that freaked out by it either. He's like, ah, yeah. They're just kind of like going through like, isn't that something? And, do, you ever, uh, do you ever imagine being in the room when a movie like that was being pitched? To, to somebody and they're like and then and then what happens is he leaves the hotel room and goes back in time 20 <laughs> years and then he comes back and tells the story and someone was well, like oh yeah that seems totally cool I get it <laughs> so th- this is what kind of always bothered me about the show Lost is that they weren't confined by any bounds of re- any like uh, boundaries of reality at all and they could just basically do whatever the hell they wanted and as the audience you just kind of had to ex- sit there and accept it you couldn't <laughs> question it because well anytime you started to question it they could just come back like no you don't understand it's a magic island <laughs> you know I'm yeah. you, well okay yeah. um, now I like this movie uh, probably more than I like Lost but what you just said, Tara, is something they kind of talked about in the podcast. Like they're kind of mm. going through the synopsis of the movie. And at one point, one goes, this is a ridiculous movie. Um, yeah, yeah. When you break it down, like kind of scene by scene, that is, uh, well, I, I guess it helps that it was a book first. So, um, mm. you know, the book Shoeless Joe or whatever. Uh, and, you know, when you're writing a, a book, I guess you can kind of just let your imagination run <laughs> wild. Just, maybe You just <laughs> allow it because it was in the book and you're like, I don't know, it doesn't have to make sense. It was just already there. So w- when you watch this movie, when it gets to the point where he travels back in time and meets old Moonlight Graham, d- does it all like, are, are you like me? Do you just totally like in the moment accept it as like, all right, I'm totally fine with this. With the pace of the movie, this makes total sense. Here's the thing. I have not seen that movie in a long time. Ah, okay. So I feel like it's one of those movies that you go back and watch it. Maybe mm-hmm. when you're outside of the, like, this is the greatest thing ever kind mm-hmm. of fa- I don't know why yeah. it, it kind of had that mystique for a, a long time. Mm-hmm. And now is when people are like, <laughs> yeah, but it's actually pretty terrible. <laughs> um, and if you go back and watch it now, you can be like, yeah, okay. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of a train wreck, but you know, in a, in a very nostalgic, I kind of like it anyway, sort of way. So I haven't watched it in a long time. And even hearing you say that, I was like, oh, yeah, that did happen, didn't it? So it's definitely not something that was like, this major red flag that all of a sudden I was like, wait, what's going on here? <laughs> and maybe that's just because, as you said, the entire movie is the entire 
concept of the movie asks you to suspend any right. sort of grasp 100%. on reality. Yeah. So at that point, you're already there. And it's just like, oh, this is this is happening now. There, It doesn't have to make sense because none of this makes sense. Um, but no, I, I don't think it was ever something that I paid that much attention to, which just furthers the point that you slide something like that into a movie that's already a little bit outrageous in its <laughs> lack of reality or realism. And you can get away with a lot. Yeah, I think it's just the idea of time travel has always just kind of messed with me more than the the idea of ghosts coming back. Like whether it's a movie like Donnie Darko or uh, even like Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. You know, that part at the end where they kind of like go back and change the course. I've of, actually uh, never seen all the Harry ah, Potter okay, movies. Okay, no, no that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. Um, just, t- yeah, time travel is tricky with yeah, me. For uh, sure. And it's, and it's one of the things that's hard to do. Well, because it's so out yeah. there. And this one does it so casually. They're yeah. so casual <laughs> about the time travel. Uh, like, he never once seemed worried that he wasn't... He seemed to know he was going to be able to go back. Right. He never once was like, oh my God, am I stuck in 1974? No, he was totally just interested in talking to this old man. Or in well, the I, I sort of like... Out common idea that you can't talk to people or mess with the timeline or whatever you know um yeah there are always some weird complications with time travel in movies unless you just are like let's do this for once and see what happens see if anyone notices (laughs) yeah but that would be my thing that's what i that's what i spent time thinking about uh this week at least for a little bit (laughs) that's funny what what do you have okay so my random thing that i learned is that I am very much terrified of being around people right now. That's not the thing that I learned. What I learned is that I was able to turn that (laughs) sort of obsessive concern about being around other humans into uh, being quite handy. I don't know. You probably saw the pictures or the video. I... Uh, installed a new faucet in my kitchen, which is a thing I'd never done before. And I had my dad come over at one point the previous week because there was a a leak and I was trying to figure out what to do with it. And I'm not a plumber, nor have I ever dealt with sinks. And then for like two days after that, I was freaking out because he was in (laughs) my kitchen and we were not six feet apart. And all of a sudden I was having this epic breakdown because of that. So when I got the sink parts, I installed it myself. And let me tell you, not only was it a good way to just sort of ignore all of that acceptable or unacceptable fear in this situation, uh, but it was a huge accomplishment. And let me tell you, when that water, <laughs> when that water worked, when I turned the handle, that was maybe the greatest feeling of accomplishment of my entire life. <laughs> And um, now I want to remodel homes for a living. So that's what I've learned in this last week is that I quite enjoy that feeling of satisfaction of um, fixing something that didn't work and doing something I've never done before and um, channeling my fear of a worldwide pandemic (laughs) into um, fixing something that I barely had instructions to fix. So if anyone needs a faucet installed... I know how to do that now. And YouTube is a great resource. Also, it's really not that hard. It's pretty simple. And it worked and there's no leak. And I didn't have to, you know, encounter humans. So (laughs) if you're just like an extreme introvert and you want to order something off Amazon and do it yourself, um, I say go for it. As long as you can, you know, you have that... (laughs) The determination that stems from somewhere, fear or otherwise, <laughs> to uh, to give you a little, you know, they, we joke um, sometimes in baseball when uh, a player will go on paternity leave, right, and come back and we're like, ah, oh, he's got dad strength now. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like that's sort of what happened, except that it was like, I am afraid of the alternate possibility here, so I'm just going to learn how to do it myself. And I, you know... I can read instructions well, apparently. So there you go. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about movies. Have you ever, uh, so I'm going to make a giant leap here, but have you ever seen the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? I have. Again, it's been a very long time okay. since I saw that movie. So so you learned to install a sink because yeah. you were um, basically by yourself and you right. had to. Yeah. Like, like you, you had no other option. 
Yeah. Tom Hanks and Castaway learn how to make fire on a mm. uh, yeah. on a just deserted island because he uh, had the time and he it was kind of uh, necessary for survival. So uh, I think. Do you think, because I've thought about this before when I, when I think about that movie, do you think you could learn to make fire on a uh, deserted island similar to what Tom Hanks did and similar to your thing with the faucet? I don't know, Alex, if making fire is a thing that I would be able to <laughs> learn from ordering something off Amazon and figuring it out on YouTube, but... I don't know. There's a lot on YouTube. I could probably could probably look that up. And I think the moral of this very random story for me is that the motivation <laughs> of feeling like you have no other choice is very strong. So I don't know. Maybe sure. maybe yeah. I could figure out fire as well. <laughs> I, you're you're not gonna get a good connection to YouTube on a deserted island to do that. Like Tom Hanks That's did true. passed away. But so what I should oh. do is just watch all the YouTube videos in preparation it's like doomsday preppers only the internet binge watching version i don't know sure. we're, we're going way off way off the rails here and before we get too far gone we are actually going to welcome erica weston onto the show with us erica thank you for joining this what's supposed to be a baseball podcast at this point who really knows what it is but thanks for being here anyway well <laughs> speaking of too far gone here i am you know i don't even know <laughs> what day of the week it is anymore no I am happy to hop on with you guys always, anytime. It's always fun to, um, I don't know, have human interaction in any sense. So happy to be with you guys. We were just talking about that and the difference in being isolated by yourself like I am or with you know, family and children and how I'm just sort of desperate for human interaction. And Alex is kind of desperate for a moment of his own somewhere during the day. So where do you fall on that scale? Are you ready for, you know, actual humans in your life? Or are you enjoying the peace and quiet? No, I'm ready for actual humans in my life. I live, <laughs> I live, I live by myself, and my human action interaction right now is like the once a week I'm allowing myself to go to the grocery store. I figure, you know, one day a week is probably good. Um, my boyfriend, my family, they all live in other states, so I'm literally by myself. And I've got friends and family members who are like, "I'm going to kill my husband," or my kids are driving me crazy, and it's only Monday, and I'm like, "God, I wish I had that problem." Right Right now I'm right now I'm like okay I'm pacing the kitchen what am I doing no I'm like I'm dying for human interaction right now <laughs> you can come hang out with my kids for an hour and you'll feel better about your situation <laughs> I know it's always the grass is always greener right yeah right um so have you learned anything about yourself or the way that you function in life in <laughs> uh, in this bizarre scenario because we've learned all sorts of things uh, oh, yeah. that, that are not really things that you would normally talk about on a baseball podcast but you know here we are <laughs> we've been we're being forced to be very reflective right now. Right. Because of all of this. No, I think the thing that I learned about myself, and it's definitely not a good thing. And I don't, I don't think I really paid attention to it because I'm so busy all of the time. I don't have a lot of downtime is that I think I have a attention span of like a five year old. <laughs> I'll sit down to watch a show. And then I'm like, Oh, no, I need to look up that recipe that I wanted to make. And then while I'm looking up the recipe, I'm like, Oh, no, I needed to go do the laundry. And then while I'm doing the laundry, I'm like, No, I need to sit back down and start watching the show. And then I'll start watching a show. And then I'll pick up my phone and be like, Okay, what did, what's the news that I missed on Twitter? I, I'm going crazy because I I can't sit still and do one thing for like a solid stretch of time. It's ridiculous. I think part of that is this industry. I obviously don't have quite the schedule with all the traveling that that you keep between baseball and hockey when baseball and hockey are happening. But I very much understand the constant multitasking. And I think some of this for me comes from the, the freelance world of feeling like if I'm not working, I'm not trying hard enough. <laughs> so I always feel like I have to be going and going and going. And this much downtime, to some extent, is my brain's like, well, this is cool. You you can relax for a minute. But then the rest of me is like, no, but I need to do stuff. 
<laughs> totally. And the but the freelance mindset, I'm so glad you brought that up, is so interesting because you feel like you have to continually be doing yeah. uh, doing well and getting better because in the freelance world, like you're not guaranteed work next week or next month or whatever. That's how a lot of people in my business operate right now. You get that. So yeah, it's weird that we all of a sudden have to figure out how to be productive without any work. Yeah, I won't lie. I'm not being super productive this week, and it's, it's sort of getting to me. <laughs> it comes and goes for sure. Yeah, yeah. But you mentioned that you obviously know a lot of people who are in the same position, and we can talk about the ramifications for baseball in a second. But I just kind of want to go back to when all of this came to a screeching halt. What was that like for you? I mean, I I know where I was. I know when people started sort of spreading the idea of everything shutting down. And it was a very bizarre couple of days for me. So what was that, I don't know, week that felt like seven years like for you? Yeah, so it was that week when um, the Blues had the rescheduled game with Anaheim. So I... I don't normally travel a ton during hockey season, a few games here and there. Mostly I'm at home, usually um, I'm at home for all home games, either in the studio or just having a day off for road games. So yeah, it was that week. But it was when the news came out about Rudy Gobert with Utah Jazz testing positive, I was like, oh, crap, this is getting real. And then my producer texted me and we had two home games, two blues home games that weekend that were on the schedule. And he texted me and he's like, we're not going to be working this weekend. I was like, what? No, come on. Don't be silly. Like, no, this is, they're not going to cancel the hockey season right now. Like, don't, let's not get ahead of ourselves. And then less than 12 hours later, everything had been completely shut down. So I had a rare, you know, I had a day off essentially that week where everything was unfolding. There was a road game that next day that I wasn't supposed to be working anyway. So I, yeah, I was like in denial. No, no, nothing's, nothing's going to happen. This is all going to be fine. It's never going to get to that degree, but yeah, it did. And it was, it happened really fast. Like you said, it just, it's, and I think everybody, what, two and a half or so weeks later now, we're still trying to figure out how to navigate the best path forward because nobody's ever been in this situation before. Erica, not to change the subject too much, but I want to ask you this question because it's something I've always wanted to ask uh, Mm -hmm. someone who does what you do. And I I don't want to forget. And that's that when you are interviewing someone after a game, Mm-hmm. how annoying is it? Or maybe not annoying. Maybe it's fun. But to me, it would be annoying. Um, what's it like when you get caught in the crossfire of like a Gatorade bath? Because I, <laughs> I watch that and I'd be like, that would, I don't know how I would feel about that. You had a solid streak of a couple of weeks with a couple different teams where oh that happened too. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I know. They were, they were definitely targeting and doing it on purpose for a few of those for sure. <laughs> Um, I think the first the first time you get caught in the crossfire of the Gatorade or ice water bath, you're like, okay, that was jarring, but I guess I'm initiated now. And then the next few, you're like, okay, that's fun and cute and all, but let's let me work. And then when it keeps happening, you're like, all right, enough. I've got you know, I've got to figure out how to get my get my head on a swivel, be quick like a cat, whatever. <laughs> because then the next time it happens, you're going to be totally annoyed by it. It's all in good fun, but seriously, sometimes you're like, I'm just trying to do my job. I really appreciate it that they think it's fun and want to involve me in that kind of stuff. So no, I think uh, the last time I got caught in the crossfire, I I got pretty lucky. I was able to get out of there uh, un- unharmed. <laughs> You're definitely, it's definitely takes some practice though. I remember one of the first few times people were like, you got caught flat footed. What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm not <laughs> thinking about that. I'm thinking about what questions I'm going to ask them, what's going on around me, the two producers in my ear. There's a lot going on. Yeah, that's one thing most people don't un- understand or don't know or just have no reference point for is that there are people talking in your ear the entire time the entire <laughs> you're time. trying to have yeah. a conversation with an athlete. Yeah, I'm not just walking up there because it's fun. It's like, A, it's my job and B, there are people telling me, all right, let's go, time to go. Especially if it's a walk off at home, it's a completely different situation. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot going on. It seems insanely unfair because they're in their, you know, uniforms, which doesn't, you know, which they're all going to go to the locker rooms. And yeah, I just, I, I, you handle it better than I would. I would be, I think I would get kind of angry and show it. And then I don't know, I'd probably get yelled at by my bosses or something. I don't know. 
to be fair, the last time it happened last, I think it was May or June of last year was the last time I got, might've been later. I can't remember. It was a day game and Colton Wong uh, made some incredible plays. He was the walk-off interview and he got mad because the guys got his glove wet and he was not happy. <laughs> I'm sure you guys oh, probably saw that, but yeah, he was not happy. So it, it's all fun and games for them too, getting their dirty uniforms messed up. But when it comes to uh, their gloves and their, you know, prized possessions and things like that, they weren't happy either. So it was funny. I want to know, you spend time around those players doing your job, interviewing them, getting the stories from them. Is there anyone on the team or any personality that you think is would be surprising, not necessarily good or bad, just in that it's different in person than most people get a glimpse of when we're watching a broadcast with these guys throughout the season? I don't know if it's necessarily different. I mean... They all pretty much are themselves, but they're pretty composed when they're doing interviews on TV. I mean, we know Harrison Bader gives a great interview, but we know he's a goofball, right? He's, mm-hmm. a, young, he's a young kid. Um, we know Dexter Fowler loves to joke with people, but he's also really generous and kind. Um, Colton Wong is the same sort of way. Like he likes to joke and poke fun of like Wayno being the old guy on the team, things like that. But he's also uh, really... I don't know, introspective with his interviews and likes to be accommodating with his time. So I think they're pretty good about showing their personality true to who they are in these interviews. But um, yeah, certainly you get to see, you know, a different side of them when you're in the clubhouse every day or, or traveling with them a few times a month. What were you most looking forward to about the upcoming season as far as baseball is concerned? Uh, for me, honestly, I don't know if this sounds... I don't know if it sounds selfish. Sure. That's fine. Whatever. Um, yeah, we were all looking forward to baseball starting. We were all looking forward to the fact that the Cardinals were, you know, at the top of the division last year and they made it to one of the final four teams standing. Yeah. Baseball was back and that's great. It's the start of a new year. It's amazing. But for me, what I was looking forward to was seeing how my relationships with everybody on the team, around the team, coaching staff, etc., what have you, how those relationships grow because it would have been my third season coming in. And there was a huge difference between the first season when I came in a few weeks in last season. And I really wanted to see, uh, my growth as a reporter because my relationships with them had grown and now they know, oh, we can trust her. She's been around. We know um, she's on our side, essentially. Uh, we know what kind of story she's going to tell. So I was looking forward to my growth around the team and and them knowing that, you know, like I'm I'm essentially telling what's, I'm, it's not my job to break news. That's not the kind of industry I'm in. I'm not, you know, a beat writer that's there on a daily basis trying to break stories, we're essentially covering the news of the day. So I was looking forward to growing those relationships. And and it still can happen. It just might be put off by a few months. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think that's that's selfish at all. I think that's when you work in this industry, people don't work in this business if they don't love it. <laughs> so yes. you, uh, you're looking forward to it because you love what you do as much as the guys on the field do. I think that's, that's totally reasonable. And, um, you know, as much as they come into spring training, ready to be in the best shape of their life or whatever the cliches are we want to throw at it, you know, everybody on, on your side of the equation does the same thing. Yeah, we're essentially each working on our own craft, right? They happen to be working on the game of baseball. I happen to be working on my broadcast skills as far as covering a baseball team. So yeah, absolutely. You spent time in Denver and LA and Arizona, maybe some other places too, as as far as I know. Um, I'm curious how you would compare sports in St. Louis, particularly with the Cardinals and and I guess Cardinals fans, since this is a Cardinals podcast, um, with some of your other experiences. Is there anything that jumps out at you that wow St. Louis is different this way or um or is it all do they all kind of just run together because it is a job that you're doing and you're you're more focused on the job than the actual than that part of it I think they're all different just based on how their community might support certain sports teams and that was certainly something that drew me to this job is because everybody knows about the St. Louis Cardinals, right? And everybody knows that everybody in St. Louis and the surrounding areas 
are obsessive over their baseball team and you want to be a part of that. In LA, there is just so much stuff peripherally happening around the area that, yeah, everybody pays attention to their sports teams, but there's also so much going on. I think what's great about St. Louis is that during baseball season, everybody's concentrated on the Cardinals. And during, you know, the beginning of hockey season and the run up into the playoffs, and I guess as we saw last year during during the playoffs, everybody's hyper-focused on what's going on with the Blues. So um, I don't know. That was just That was just something that I respected and appreciated coming here. I think the only thing I can compare it to was when I was in Arizona and I was in Tucson covering mostly University of Arizona sports. When it's college basketball season, nobody cares about anything but University of Arizona basketball in Tucson. And it's kind of insane at first. And then you're like, okay, I love this because I have such an appreciation and a respect for their dedication and the way that they're supporting this team. So it's, I guess I kind of experienced it in a sense in Tucson, but it's at a much grander scale now here in St. Louis for sure. Yeah, definitely a magnifying glass on the sports teams in that city when things are happening there, which was interesting last year when, you know, the Cardinals, maybe this is an interesting place to sort of shift to this year because last year the Cardinals ended up winning the division and and obviously had a, a postseason run, but there was still a lot of direct comparison to what the Cardinals were doing and what the Blues were doing and who was drawing the bigger crowd and and was it splitting the attention? It's been a while since both of those teams were good at the same time. And, you know, there's this sort of underlying expectation from Cardinals fans about how good their baseball team should be. So when we looked at coming into this season, coming off of last year, obviously not a particularly fond memory of how the season ended. Sure. Not a lot had changed as far as personnel. Not a lot had really been guaranteed as far as who was even going to be on the roster. And if you looked at any sort of prediction models or any sort of uh, division placements, there was a lot of range as far as where the Cardinals could land in these things coming off of last year where, yes, they won the division. Yes, they made it to the NLCS, but they were far from perfect as far as the team goes. Not making a ton of changes coming into this year. If the season starts in June or whenever we might actually get baseball back. Um, Erica, what do you make of what this team looked like in the spring and kind of what that expectation tends to be for Cardinals teams at this point? You know, uh, to be perfectly honest, I hadn't watched a ton of the spring games only because I was either hit Alex. I was still fully immersed in hockey season at that point. Yeah. I still had, a couple of weeks before I needed, obviously, up until last week on Thursday to fully turn the switch when I was essentially completely switching over to baseball season for the foreseeable future. But um, I don't know. I guess you can look at it that it was good in that in the sense that everybody is familiar with everybody who's going to be around. So you've got that familiarity and you know how everybody operated last year and you can build on that. So in a sense, that was good. But yeah, I know everybody wants to point out that there weren't a lot of major overhauls or changes or they didn't land these incredible free agents and Garrett Cole didn't pick St. Louis and what have you and all of that stuff. So um, I don't know. I think I think for me, the focus was who's going to be that power bat in the lineup with Marcelo Zuna being gone because he was the reason they were able to advance to the NLCS. So there was a lot of question marks to be had, but um, I think what's great about Mike Schill is that he prides himself on being that great communicator, right? So any of these guys that are vying for spots or, Hey, where are we going to put Tommy Edmond or what's our outfield going to look like? He would have made those decisions in the right way so that as we were able to move towards uh, this season and and towards opening day, yeah, it might not have been crystallized what it's all going to look like, but everybody would have been bought in on the same page. And I think you've got a really uh, comfortable Paul Goldschmidt coming into year two with the Cardinals. So I think there was a lot of um, a lot of room for internal growth for a lot of the young players on the team. I, I know I mentioned um, Tommy Edmond, but you've got Lane Thomas. They're really high on him. So um, 
surely I know fans were disappointed that they didn't sign some big name free agent, but there was a lot of internal talent that was going to be showcased. So I was looking forward to seeing that. After the Cardinals won the uh, NLDS last year, Mike Schill, uh, I guess, infamously was recorded live on Instagram. Was it a Rosa Raina who did that? Or, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm curious, the Mike Schilt you saw in that video, is that the Mike Schilt you've, you've known the last couple of years in your job? Um, to an extent, (laughs) um, he is an incredible human and he is compassionate, but he's also fiery and he also protects his guys with great fire. So I'm not surprised that that was the speech that we saw from him because he believed wholeheartedly in his team moving forward and what the rest of the run might look like. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, it was, it was surprising because he's, you know, that's not, <laughs> he's not dropping swear words all the time. That's not the Mike Schultz that we, that we know, but yeah, we know he gets fiery. We know he can get, I mean, come on, we've seen him on the bench get fiery when there was, uh, you know, a bad call behind the plate, you know? So there were moments where you could kind of see something, um, happening as far as his, his fire and his passion is concerned. Um, yeah, it was surprising, but it's unfortunate that it got broadcast live on Instagram Live because I'm sure he wanted that to be private with his team. But you know what? Whatever. He he believed in his guys wholeheartedly, and he was passionate, and they loved it. So who am I? Who am I to judge? I, I loved it too. So I don't think he loved that I saw it, but I but I loved no, it. no 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 no. <laughs> Probably not. It's, it's interesting in light of that because. Alex and I had several conversations at one point last season. I don't remember exactly when it was, but Mike Schilt went on a bit of a rant to the media gathered before a game and kind of basically said, I don't know why people aren't giving us credit for the things we're doing well. And instead are only talking about the things that aren't going well. It was much more involved than that. And it it, it sort of referenced fans not maybe giving them credit. It came off a little weird in comparison to what we hear most of the time from Mike Schilt. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that conversation happening? And, you know, was that to, I wonder if that was as much a, like you said, I'm going to protect my guys and maybe try to deflect a little bit as it was, you know, directly arguing against what was being written or what was being said about his team. (laughs) It's possible, you know, I think there were a couple of times where he actually had these these uh, <laughs> these conversations, but the one I remember vividly because I was asked about it uh, maybe a month or so afterward was the day in June when the Blues and the Stanley Cup actually came to the game at Bush Stadium. And there was a huge throng of media that day for obvious reasons. But while some of the Blues in the Cup and, and, and Craig Berube and whomever was there that day were in the clubhouse mingling with some of the guys, uh, Mike Schilt was holding court trying to tell us to, hey, you know, look at the positives. Look at all the good things we're doing. You guys are focusing on what we're not doing or uh, you're picking apart things that don't really need to be picked apart. And it was such a weird day. And <laughs> I remember people asking him, are you going to get Craig Berube to address your team? And he was like, no, why, why, would I, why would I do that? And I think some people took it as oh, how incredulous of him to say that. He should, of course, have him address the team. And it's like, well, it's a completely different sport. And I don't think Chief would necessarily be all that into it. I'm not speaking for either of them. It was just a very odd dynamic that day because you had Mike Schilt defending his guys, but you've got the other champs across town in the same building, literally across the hallway. It was such a weird... uh, I don't even know, a mix of everything that was going on because you had guys that were coming in that were excited to see the cup, but you also had guys knowing that the pressure was on and Mike Schilt was having to make these, have these conversations and defend his guys and that certain names were coming up because they weren't performing the way some fans anticipated them performing. So it was very weird. We're jumping all around uh, right now, but I, I assume, Erica, you saw the report that there was a chance with a shortened season that could result in... 14 uh, playoff teams and Mm -hmm. 
the thing that really jumped out at me was perhaps a neutral site for a for a World Series, if I if I read it correctly. How do you see that playing out in terms of, do you think that's a good idea? Because I don't for various reasons. Um, <laughs> and do you think that will, that could actually come to fruition? What, why don't you, why don't you like it first? I want to know why so, you don't like it. So I think about something like the Super Bowl, right? Which is at a mm-hmm. neutral location and it totally works because you're only asking two fan bases to travel and basically have fun and party for a weekend. I don't know. You can ask a fan. I don't know if you can ask people to do that. Not that, you have to go to all the games or anything like that, or people can't pick and choose the games they go to. I just don't know if you can pull off a neutral location for 10 days. Seven games, yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah, if that makes sense. And I, yeah. I could be wrong because obviously we've never seen it. But I understand your thinking and you know that's the norm with, with the Super Bowl. It's one weekend, it's concentrated, it rotates every year, what have you. But with the fact that we're looking at, we don't even know what – this season's going to look like if there's going to be a season. I, I'm not saying I know anything. I don't know anything. I know as much as you guys know. I, I think this is, and I think Rob Manfred touched on this a few days ago, or maybe it was last week in an interview that he did. Um, this is the season and this is the time that if we do get games played, it's a time to experiment and to try new things. And if that means, hey, we're playing the World Series in November into December and we need it to be in Miami because it's, 20 degrees from wherever one of the teams might be from, then sure, we, we got to try it. And you know what? At that point, I don't think you're going to get a lot of resistance from a lot of people because it means there's more baseball to be had because we missed it right now. We're missing it now. So I'm all in favor of them making that work. And I wouldn't want people to be playing baseball in December in an outdoor stadium. That sounds so bizarre. <laughs> so um, again, I don't know what that's going to look like, but yeah, I'm I'm all in favor of them trying to do any and all things that they can to get as many baseball games as they possibly can in respect with um, buildings open, like stadiums that are open that aren't supposed to be housing something else, and the health and safety of everybody involved. Other than that, do whatever you want to do. I think people will watch. How do you feel about doubleheaders? Because I know how most TV people feel about doubleheaders. It's not great. In a a normal scenario, in a normal 162-game schedule, doubleheaders are the worst. (laughs) They're terrible. They're terrible. Let me me just explain. Let's set the scene a little bit for people who don't – like when you work a game, a 7 o'clock game – if you are either in the studio or on the field that night, how early are you at the stadium? Well, if I'm reporting for a seven o'clock game, I'm usually there to two 30 in the afternoon. Okay. The clubhouse opens like an hour or so later, but the conversations with the producers start, you know, in the morning. So you basically go to bed at night. You get you, or you come home from the game, you get an hour or two to unwind. You go to bed, you wake up in the morning, try to get your life back in order before you have to wash, rinse, repeat, do it again the next day. So yeah, yeah. double headers, not great. <laughs> and the, the, the rest of the crew, right? The camera guys, the producers, the like people are there real early <laughs> on a normal to, yes, day. Those guys have to be there hours before I do because there is so much setup that is involved and they get all the credit because, you know, we, we get to show up a few hours after they do. So yeah, they're putting in long hours for sure. Yeah. So if you back that up to, uh, you know, 105 game one or whatever it is, however early you have to go with that first game, like those are the longest, longest, most difficult days in television. So double headers for TV real rough but under the circumstances you know it sort of is what it is right it is you know yeah it is what it is and i think that was another thing that rob manfred discussed last week you know yeah we'll look at that but it's it's not going to be double header after double header after double they're not gonna have a week's worth of double headers like that's just not safe that's just not smart for anybody so if they have multiple yeah i think the players would agree with that they've got a lot of this time right now to uh continue to get right Unfortunately, it means they're not doing it at their spring training facilities. But um, I think you'll have some pushback from the players on that for sure. But if if they're in agreement, sure, why not? I don't think it's going to be an endless amount of doubleheaders. But again, if we're at a point where we're talking about a schedule and we have to have a bunch of doubleheaders in one week, I don't care. It's baseball and I'm back (laughs) working. So whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I I certainly agree. I think it will be interesting to see how minor league baseball handles that as well. Obviously, their season 
was supposed to get started um, about a week from now. And that has been a major talking point in baseball as we have seen continued conversation about how little money these guys are, are working with in normal circumstances and, and how all of that plays into this. But, you know, their seasons are in jeopardy as well. And I work in a minor league city and I cover minor league baseball and, you know, the unknowns are still very much there for all of those guys as well, who are still trying to stay in shape and be ready to go at pretty much any time. It's interesting in talking about the neutral sites for the World Series or how late into the fall slash winter you go with baseball. I was talking to someone else about it this week, and it kind of comes down to figuring out what the priority is, I think, right? Is it how many games can we possibly get in once the the start date is determined? Or is it being done by a certain date on the calendar? Once you figure which one of those is the priority, then you kind of work from there, right? If the end date is the most important, it's going to limit the number of games you can play. If playing the most games possible is more important, it's going to push the schedule deeper and deeper into the winter. I don't know if there's a right answer for that. Alex and I talked a couple of weeks ago about how many games is enough games to feel like a season was played. Is it 100 games? Is it, you know, 81 games? That's half a season. Where do you draw that line on how many games is enough to really feel like you can go into the playoffs and feel good about it at that point. It's just so strange. It is. It's so complex and dynamic. And the people that are in charge of making that decision, I don't envy them because it's a combination of both, right? You need to have a certain amount of games in uh, the schedule to be played to feel like it was a legitimate season, but you are against up against the weather and the elements in cold city. So there is going to be a natural end point for when the season needs to wrap up. So I, I don't know. The answer is probably somewhere in between. I really don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I don't envy, envy making that decision. But again, I don't know, because you have to think about the first month of the season is essentially an extended spring training for a lot of these guys, right? You know, some of them are yeah. finding their form and, and rounding into form and, and really getting in their groove by May. And when all of us in the broadcast world are hitting a wall in June, they're hitting their stride. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, get, I guess you have to take that into consideration too. But at the same time, all of those that are in favor of a shortened Major League Baseball schedule might get what they want this year and see how that works. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think the length of the schedule in a regular normal scenario it uh, that's kind of how they, they plan to operate. It takes them some time to get in their groove. So it's going to be interesting to see if, uh, you know, July 1st rolls around or a Memorial Day opening day. Again, I don't know anything, what that's going to look like, if that's enough time and, and when the season might essentially end at that point. It is unfamiliar territory for everyone. And the other group of people, the other person, I don't know exactly how baseball Major League Baseball schedules are compiled. Uh, I don't envy that person because whatever you decide to do with the number of games, it's going to throw more than one monkey wrench into the schedule, however they choose to do it. At one point, you know, there was the idea, do you just pick up wherever you are in the already planned schedule or do you rewrite the entire schedule? And I think at this point, the number of games they're looking at knocking off the season or having to fit into a smaller window, oh, that's going to be that's going to be quite the obstacle course well, <laughs> trying to figure yeah. out how to how to fit in enough division games and make sure that you're playing the, the teams in your division enough times but where do you what do you do with interleague play because of the number of teams it just it gets again so layered and so complicated just with that one thing just figuring the schedule out i wouldn't think that right now there are people that are the schedule makers that are sitting down and thinking okay, let's try to move this or let's try to do that. I mean, maybe there are, but you really, there's nothing we can do. There's no end in sight right now. So there's not even a lot of preparation work that, that can be done. Okay, hey, if this if the season is going to officially start on, say Memorial Day becomes opening day, back backlog what the rest of the quote unquote spring training might look like and let's get a schedule from there. I don't even know if they can kind of loosely pencil in those dates. Yeah. I would think that interleague play would drop out this year whenever it picks up so that you are guaranteed to play um, the teams in your division. And I would also think that there might be some 
rearranging of travel as far as not multiple trips to each city. So mm, you played yeah. four, six, whatever games at home, the Cardinals would then fly to Pittsburgh for six straight games or, you know, three on a day off and then three, three on. So you're eliminating a lot of that travel between cities. I don't know if that's what they're considering. I have absolutely no idea. I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised if something like interleague play was an easy option for them to just say, hey, it's not going to work this year. Yeah, so many, so many moving parts that can't even start moving until we have a date for the possibility of baseball. Eric, I don't want to keep you too much longer tonight, but if there is something that you are working on that you want people to be aware of while we have all this downtime, feel free to, uh, to, to plug something, to point people to, uh, to where they can find you, whatever you have going on right now, because we all, we all need an outlet, right? <laughs> we need something. Yeah. And that was something that I talked about last week. So I do, I have a YouTube page. I've been trying to post videos to that. And the one last week that I shared, because I get this question a lot during baseball season, more so than hockey season because I'm on TV a lot more. There's less days off in between. Um, how did you get this job? How did you get here? Advice to whomever, if we're in high school, college, and we want to take that route or whatever. So I did a, a video about my journey, just kind of detailing everything. I figured it was the right time to sit down and do that because generally I don't have a lot of extended time to sit down and edit something like that. So that's on my YouTube page. Um, you can go to my Instagram, erica.weston, and there's a link to it on one of my highlights. So um, that's pretty much all I can think about right now. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just wasting my time on TikTok because I'm one of those millennials that finally figured out how fun it is. <laughs> well, you're ahead of me because I can watch TikTok. I still have no idea what to do with it. So maybe maybe someday in the next six weeks i'll figure it out you got plenty of time ahead of me i can show you that don't worry we can can talk about maybe that'll be the random thing that i learned for next week Ooh, perfect (laughs) i can explain it to you then hopefully i mean i've got a whole week to figure it out well erica we will let you go and maybe you can do the laundry that you started before you started the show (laughs) that you didn't do when you were whatever it is you have going on the rest of the night thanks so much for joining us i think it's sugar sugar cookies tonight but laundry tomorrow Uh, anytime guys thank you that's a much better priority Already, I, think. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye. Really great talking to Erica. Obviously, looking forward to her continuing her coverage of the Cardinals whenever that happens. But Alex, it was fun to hear from her. I feel like she probably has way more stories that we could get to at some point if we wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of stories, and you all were talking about like schedule this year and how big of a pain that could be. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned that there was like an old couple who used to do the schedule every year? Yes. Uh, I actually Googled them. Their names were Henry and Holly Stevenson. And they did it for a very long time, but were finally outbid um, like back in 2004 and taken over by just like a machine. Um, wow. But yeah, Henry and Holly Stevenson. Look them up huh. if you ever get a chance. They're kind of I cool. bet Henry and Holly are not envious of said machine now dealing with all of those schedule complications no No, it sounds like maybe they were ready to get out of that uh that gig it sounds like a pretty uh a pretty intensive job i'm sure and everyone it's one of those jobs that everyone's always going to complain about at some point right yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, well before we wrap things up tonight for this week's episode of the show i have handed off the baton back to its rightful owner and alex has a trip of the week for us this week Okay, so I was messing around on the play index today, and I wanted to see who holds the season record um, for the Cardinals um, for most times caught stealing um, in a single season. And Mm -hmm. that record belongs to Lou Brock, who in 1974 was caught stealing 33 times. Now, it's totally fine to get caught stealing 33 times when you actually steal 118 bases for the season, uh, which he did that year. Um, that is the second most all time to Ricky Henderson, uh, who stole 130, uh, whenever that was late seventies, early eighties. Um, and it's still the most in the national league. And, you know, they stay, they say about stolen bases, you want to, um, if you're not stealing around like 75% success rate, then you probably shouldn't be stealing bases all that much. And, uh, Lou Brock was stealing at close to an 80% clip, actually uh, 78% um, in 1974. So he was doing uh, 
very, very fine. Um, but the reason why I brought this up is, or the reason why I wanted to look this up is because earlier today, uh, Dave Schoenfield, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, of ESPN asked people um, in a tweet to send their favorite amazing minor league season. And I immediately thought of Vince Coleman's season in 1983 uh, with the, uh, in, the 19, in the South Atlantic League with the Macon Redbirds. I believe it was the only time the Cardinals had an affiliate in Macon, Georgia. Um, but the, at the age of 21, uh, Vince had a slash line of 350, 431, uh, 399. Uh, that's a uh, point, uh, 049 ISO, if anyone's uh, keeping track there. Uh, <laughs> 513 plate appearances. 145 stolen bases, and uh, that's just in um, 113 games. And he was only caught stealing 31 times, and that's at close to a 83% success rate. And it's just insane to me. It sounds like almost they're playing another sport now when you hear those numbers. It's almost like when you <laughs> when you mess around on the play index and you see those numbers from like the late 1880s or something like that, and, you know, it's – a completely different game than what they play now. You know, guys would be stealing like 120 bases like on the regular and it was crazy. That's kind of what Vince's season looked like in 1983. And that's kind of what his reputation was when he came up in 85. And he became uh, arguably the most prolific base stealer of all time. He stole, uh, as a lot of people know, 100 bases uh, his first three seasons in the majors. And no one has done it since then. And Ben Godar, a couple of years ago, wrote a very good article at Viva Alberto's, um, mostly about his 1986 season. Because in 1986, he stole 107 bases, but was only caught 14 times. And <laughs> yeah, which is, which is basically insane. Um, and I, I was looking at the stats, and I, and I saw that for the top eight all-time stolen base seasons. This is the only season of those top eight where the person didn't also lead the league and caught stealing, hmm. you know, and which, which makes sense because the guy who's stealing a lot of bases is going to get caught a lot too, just by the very fact that they right. are trying to steal a lot of bases. But Vince Coleman went 107, stole 107 bases on 121 attempts in 1986. And as Ben points out, he was still not considered a great player because that was really the only thing he brought to the table, which was speed. He couldn't hit. He certainly couldn't hit for power. But if he got on base, he was absolutely going to steal that base. And never was that more true in 19, than in 1983 when he was playing in Macon and he stole a crazy amount of bases. Again, that's 145. If you ever want to look at it and just like, watches those numbers just jump off, off off the page you can you can check out his old minor league stats on baseballreference.com which i encourage everyone to do but that's your chirp of the week check out vince coleman's uh minor league stats especially from 1983 and last thing i will say is that if uh, i just want to encourage everyone if you are still uh, lucky enough to be getting your normal paycheck. And if you are already a subscriber to Fangraphs and Prospectus or the Baseball Reference Play Index or Joe Sheehan's newsletter or Matt Trueblood's newsletter or whatever, to continue to stay subscribed to those things if you can, because as we've learned this week, in light of what's going on, and obviously that means there's going to be less baseball content and so people aren't visiting these sites as much as they normally would. And that affects the bottom line for a lot of these places and, you know, hurts these places. So if you can do a solid and keep supporting these great sites, because we are all so much better baseball fans for these places. And that's what I would like to say. Agreed. It's a great opportunity to support people that give you content in whatever means that is I know it's I find myself in a weird situation where I'm not gonna have a ton of extra <laughs> in the next little bit because as we talked about my my work is pretty much non-existent right now trying to figure that out still but it is one of those times where I I wish I could help everyone <laughs> because everyone that's dealing with this in some fashion or another is just gonna be feeling it for a while and um Man, there are a lot of ways that you can help. There are a lot of people that you can help and just support that you can offer for a lot of people. We live in a crazy 
period of time where there's a lot of content that we can consume for free, basically. And, um, you know, that takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of time to put all that together. And it's a time like this where you can show a little bit of extra support if you have it. And if you don't, like, we get it. Everyone, everyone um, knows someone for whom that's the case right now. So if you can do so, if not, just continue to read as much about baseball or about random things you learn about yourself, like how to install a kitchen faucet. And um, we'll, we'll do what we can on this end to, uh, to provide you with some sort of entertainment when you're tired of watching Netflix for a while. And on that note, no, that that is a very good point. That you're tired of watching Netflix? No. <laughs> well, yeah. But no, I was just going to say, at the very least, um, even if you can't, you know, um, contribute in any monetary sense, just clicking on the links, you know, continuing yeah. to read this stuff is always a good way to support these places yeah. as well. Yeah. There's there's always some way that you can show that and um, appreciate the work that is being done. But we will wrap it up for this week. Thanks again to Erica Weston for joining us. Make sure you check out her YouTube channel. I have watched that video she was talking about. It's a very interesting story, not necessarily what you might expect as far as how she got to where she is. And maybe we'll have her on again and we can learn more stories from her. We'll see how long this whole thing lasts. Alex, thanks for, um, you know, humoring our audience with some additional random things we've learned. Uh, let us know what you think about the time traveling in Field of Dreams, or if you think my fear-motivated um, handiness is something that would translate to things other than a uh, kitchen faucet. And uh, maybe we'll we'll find out some more things about ourselves in the next week. That's all for now. I'm going to wrap this up because I will just keep rambling as someone starved for human <laughs> interaction. Um, and we'll do this again next week. Same time, same place. We'll see who we can wrangle into talking about anything but baseball with us next time. He's Alex. I'm Tara. We'll talk to you later.